All right. Carl, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, totally. My pleasure. We were just talking about how you just got off the mountain. I did. Like... 40 minutes ago. I did. Which which canyon did you do? Um, so I was up in Little Cottonwood this morning. Okay. I figured you had to be relatively close. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're in Park City and you're yeah, like, it was kinda like, I'll be there in 30. land and hop in the car and start driving. <laughs> Love that. Well, we're going to get into what you do, but for everyone today, welcome. Well, for you, welcome to the Make It In podcast. Thank I'm so you. happy to have you on. Absolutely. For everyone today, we have Carl Wyseth here. And um, I mean, I'm going to let you do your origin story a little bit. I will tell the guests what I know of you. Okay. Speed flying, of course, yeah. is what we're talking about. And uh, you own quite a few businesses. I own a couple. <laughs> There's a couple. Or I'm involved in a couple. Serial Cere- entrepreneur. I can relate to that. And um, you brought me something today as well. I did. I think from one of your businesses, it looks like. I did. <gasps> this is a third eye pine cone. Oh, my gosh. And I'm going to let you go ahead and crack the top off of that. Thank you so much. I am... So excited to see these in person. I've seen uh, some of your videos and pictures. Oh, no way. So this is a cross-section of the no densest way. pine cone in the world. Okay. And it's a species they can only reproduce in forest fires. And they grow in the mountains outside Santa Cruz. We climb the trees and we harvest them out of the top of the trees. They never fall naturally. Oh, my gosh. And then each of these is a, a small cross-section from the very center of the pine cone. And it's just one cut per pine cone right at the very core. Okay. And it reveals that beautiful sacred geometry on either side. Oh, my gosh. This is so pretty holy smokes Heck yeah i love it and thank so you so much uh, totally my pleasure it inlaid into the center of this one is moonstone okay. and then there's 24 karat gold leaf <gasps> no little moon way. cycle emblem <gasps> around the outside yo i'm gonna so get emotional about this this, this is incredible like from me just kind of getting to know you online this seemed like it might be a good fit for i you, so. love it and i am gonna put it on right now awesome <laughs> thanks there's a little care card on there you can just rip it off rip things off of presents carl right, i like no, save the packaging right, and like well you can be a cool kid and like wear it with the tag i'm on, gonna you wear know? it with a tag on it yeah great this is incredible so i actually really wanted to start with the origin story of this company so this is called third eye pine cones mm-hmm. okay guys this is absolutely gorgeous i will show you a close-up on the camera and i'll do a, a closer up after mm-hmm. um I, okay, so you're going to have to tell your story about what inspired you to start this. I think, I think it inspired you to start it. I heard the story about you falling out of the treehouse, getting blown out of the treehouse. did. And I honestly thought we were going to spend all of our time today talking about speed flying, most of it. However, when I heard you crawled for like eight hours to safety... Can you just brief us on that? Do you mind briefing us on no, that story no real quick? Like this is part of Carl's origin story, I believe. Yeah, no, it's a big part of just kind of my like perspective on life ever since then. And yeah. uh, a big piece of what's kind of shaped the decisions I've made and um, the path I've followed. Yeah, mm-hmm. ever since. So um, I, I grew up in the Seattle area uh-huh. and I went to university up in uh, Bellingham, Washington, which is a beautiful little college town. And um after I graduated, I got an awesome internship straight out of school and went to work in corporate communications for a big biotech company. Okay. And um, I worked there for about four years. Corporate communications. Corporate what communications. were you? What were you doing? So, what was that um, I was doing writing and photography. Um, okay. Kind of for the company about oh, okay. the company, uh-huh. um, teaching people what they did and uh, also sharing with employees within the business, kind of like what was happening within the company, so oh. everybody was abreast. Yeah. Um, 
it was an awesome job, really amazing people I worked with, but mm -hmm. also just boring as fuck. Yeah. And um, not <laughs> we something. We can't handle that. We can't handle yeah, boring yeah, as fuck. Not something <laughs> that was making me feel uh, inspired and alive each day. Mm. Um, but it was really good money, and it was kind of like the quintessential um, pinnacle of what I could hope to have gotten for a job out of university. I was making right. more money than all my friends. I yeah. you know, was feeling successful and accomplished and also going through that experience I think a lot of people do out of college of kind of like, well, I spent all this time working to get here and like, is this really right. the thing is that this I've been the waiting thing? for? Mm. And mm -hmm. um, so after a couple years, um, I toned my hours back at that job and um, I had gotten really into just exploring the outdoors. And okay. um, I'd grown up a little bit outdoorsy, but not particularly, not super. Really? And, okay. Um, you know, I'd been like camping for a weekend with friends a couple times, yeah. and camping with my parents a couple times, but like pretty basic okay. stuff. And uh, did you just start hiking more, or how so did I you? Just, yeah, I really, I just started hiking more. Okay. And um, and I kind of fell in love with the uh, the forest outside of Bellingham, mm -hmm. and I was splitting my time between I I, I had. I had a spot in Seattle nearby to the job, but I was in a minivan. And so I was kind mm -hmm. of like living out of the back of the minivan. Okay. Had like the pressed khakis and dress shirts on one side <laughs> and then like the climbing ropes and adventure yep. gear on the other. Mm -hmm. And um, I was exploring the forest and I got really excited about this idea of building a tree house. Okay. And, oh um, my gosh, that's so cool. And ever since I was little, I love climbing trees. I love being yeah. up high. And so I started um, researching different uh, construction techniques and I started looking for the right tree to build this tree house in. And I okay. wanted somewhere that was like off in the boonies. I wanted somewhere that was big. I wanted to build up high in the tree, not yeah. build something that was 10 feet off the ground, but build yeah. something that like was going to... Like an actual, yeah, exactly. like a legit tree like house. Like a legit tree <laughs> okay. house. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so um, after, you know, six or seven months of kind of traversing the forest around Bellingham, I found this epic majestic douglas fir tree mm -hmm. and um i was like that's the one mm -hmm. um and i started building a tree house up there and um for the rest of that summer um i was building this structure which was essentially a, a series of interlocking platforms that were suspended with like aircraft cable okay um and what that meant is that they could sway independent of the movement mm. of the tree and if the tree was blowing and branches were blowing one way and the tree trunk was blowing another it wasn't going to pull itself apart okay room to move and a little breathe. bit yeah okay and uh, i really liked that idea for yeah. construction um and this tree was in a particularly windy area on the top of one of the tallest cliffs overlooking the san juan <laughs> islands i'm sweating i'm sweating the top already, of chuckana drive and <laughs> okay. um the structures were kind of in between 90 and 120 feet up in the top of this tree oh my gosh uh the only way up there was with a single strand rope and so you'd clip in ascenders uh -huh. and then ascend up this rope and up into you know um up into the top of so the tree you're, you're built you're like you had to ascend and build right and exactly then, okay. and everything was hoisted with pulleys yep. it was a really fun project and it taught me a ton about uh climbing and rigging and yeah. construction i didn't have background in any of those areas mm -hmm. so i was just learning as i went uh -huh. as i gather you've done with some tiny yeah. stuff recently <laughs> yep <laughs> um and uh so towards the end of summer um now passing into fall late october um i was getting ready to go on a camping trip up in alaska with a friend this was going to be my first really big backcountry away from everything and cell phone contact and okay um my first trip of that nature and i just had bought a uh, a bivy sack which is basically a small one person tent mm -hmm. and um i was getting ready to leave in a couple days and i kind of had this moment of realizing wow i haven't ever actually spent like a rainy night inside of this tent yet mm. and i'm getting ready to rely on this for my life for like two weeks in alaska yeah. 
I should probably go and test like this test out, it once, out you know make sure I know <laughs> right? what's going on there isn't like a hole in here or something like that yeah and uh so I um I looked at the weather um very cursorily um mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wish it would have looked better um but I was like oh it looks like it's gonna rain and yeah. so um I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go and I'll pitch this tent up on the deck, the exposed deck oh. of this treehouse, and um, I'll get some rain. I'll get to experience what it's like. You know, I'll get to spend the night in the tree. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went up there, uh, put the tent up, and it turned out that that night was a huge windstorm that slammed wow. into the Washington coast. And um, again, mm. this is the top of the tallest tree on the top Yikes. of the, no. the tallest no. hill <laughs> looking out over squirming. the <laughs> Pacific Ocean and the San Juan Islands. And... Um, could you see, you could see the ocean from your... Oh, yeah. It's, every night was the most gorgeous sunsets over the San Juan oh Islands. Owls calling back and forth. It okay. was right above a lake as well. So I'd go for, you know, moonlight skinny dips. Oh, and my gosh. It was amazing. Okay. Um, but this particular night, um, the tree was just getting buffeted by wind. And I woke mm. up and it started getting... It was, it was pretty windy the first time or two I woke up. Yeah. But it's windy every night. It's Washington State. It's a tall tree. So I was used to that. Yeah. Um, and then at some point it got so windy that the material of the tent started vibrating in the wind. Just okay. Yeah. And that's when I kind of like went from kind of dozing on and out of sleep mm. to like, whoa, this oh, is become <laughs> fully crazy. Yeah. Um, and even still, I wasn't scared or worried. I just was kind of like, wow, this is a really windy night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't sleep. And so my thought in that moment, I remember having this thought waking up was like, cool, I'm going to climb to the top of the tree and like ride around <laughs> in the swaying winds. Um, if I'm not going to be sleeping right now, this is kind of like right. a special cool experience. And uh-huh. I feel really confident in my construction. I feel really confident in this tree. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to get like blown over or something. Yeah. So I'm going to, well, it's been there this. for a while. Yeah, exactly. It's been <laughs> here for hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah. Um, the top of the tree had like a really nice fork in it. Mm-hmm. I think it had been struck by lightning at some point. And so it felt like a really like robust top to the tree even mm-hmm. to go and sit in. And so I opened the door of the tent. And so I'm you were legitimately going to go climb up in the tree and ride the yeah, tree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm already, I'm okay. already at 90 feet and I was going to go up to like, yeah. around like 130 at the top. What's another 40? I totally do. <laughs> okay. Again, I've been up there so much. I feel very Yeah, yeah. Got you. Um, but I opened the door of the tent facing directly into the wind oh, right shit. as a big gust of wind came. And uh, that gust of wind, but it inflated the edge of the uh, oh my gosh. the edges of the tent. And I felt the whole thing kind of like swell with air around yeah. me um, like a windsock. Yeah. And it pushed me uh, off of the edge of that platform. Uh-huh. Um, and it wasn't all at once. It wasn't a sudden, violent, off and yeah. flying. It just pushed me enough that half my body went off the edge of the platform. Mm. And then the gust kind of died down. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this moment of like, oh, shit. But I've got this. And I like slammed my hands down. Mm. And I caught myself for a second on the mm. edge of the platform. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been climbing all summer. I'm like, cool. I can <laughs> grab onto the edge of something and like pull yeah. myself. I got this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I had this this brief moment of realization. It's the last thing I really remember of realizing I've slammed my hands down and they're on the entry, the little entry fabric of the tent. Oh, and so I oh. haven't actually gotten Got the, platform. the platform. I've just gotten like the fabric on top mm. of it. And then I had this kind of just like, oh, shit. Oh. And and then this moment of acknowledgement that I was definitely dead. You oh, know? my gosh. And that was a. Uh, 
yeah, that was an interesting moment. It wasn't a like, I hope I can live. It wasn't, I hope I can save myself. It it's was like, just it's like acceptance. Like, is, it was, like, yeah, it was acceptance and acknowledgement. And um, Ooh, I got chills and I, I wasn't scared. It just was kind of the knowledge that this is happening and that mm -hmm. that's it. Um, yeah. and there had never been a thought that from anyone who had been up there that you could fall from the top of this tree and live. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when I went that in my mind was game over. Um, yeah. However, um, you know, something like six or seven hours later, um, you know, I woke up in kind of an animal state at the base of the tree. Mm. Um, I don't remember any of this, but I, uh, I tumbled my way down the hillside in the wrong direction away from civilization. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I had uh, six broken vertebrae and six uh, broken ribs and ribs through both my lungs and nine shattered teeth just from the severity of the impact just from my mm, jaw snapping shut yeah. and a uh, ruptured spleen, a ruptured appendix, you know, I was all fucked up. Um, and uh, you still don't remember. And I, I'm not remembering any of this, yeah. but I came to, and I'm, I'm on the hillside on all fours. I'm kind of like breathing heavy and, uh, and I'm coughing up blood and every breath that I take is just kind of like air passing over my lung tissue, but they can't inflate pop yeah. properly. Oh and um, I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going on, but this is the first moment I actually remember. I just remember being on the hillside mm -hmm. and um, I and kind of looking up and realizing like I have to get to the top of this hill. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't far. I was maybe like 100 yards. Okay. And um, but just covering 100 yards on like steep terrain through ferns yes. and um, bushes was was pretty arduous. But I got to the top of this thing and um still no idea what was happening just in, in animal mode is kind of yeah. like the way I think of it. I was, mm -hmm. I, I was just an animal trying to survive, but yeah. I got to the tree. I saw the single strand rope kind of like floating back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the sunlight was just beginning to hit the side of the tree, kind of the sun after the storm, it was like yeah. pretty calm. Yeah. And then at the base of the tree was my sleeping bag and this bivy sack and they were covered in blood. Oh, and, gosh. um, I had this moment of feeling, my awareness kind of just like spiral out of the sky mm. back into my body. Oh my gosh. And uh, then suddenly this acknowledgement, like, oh fuck, like I'm Carl. <laughs> this, this is what my, happened. This is my tree. <laughs> this is the tree house up there. Yeah. Like, you know, I've fallen and somehow I'm still alive right now. Yeah. And then the realization like, wow, if, if that's happened and I'm still alive, I must be super fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which is kind of how I felt right That's, then. Which is um, true. You know, I oh was in a yeah, pretty deep state of shock. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I was conscious and mm -hmm. um, I was able to breathe just enough to be, yeah, to, to keep myself awake. And um, and you, you realized which direction to exactly. crawl, I and, guess. And I realized that all of my belongings were up in the tree still, yeah, including my cell phone. Oh. Um, and so it's the, the end cell phone stayed in the tree. The cell phone is still in the tree. I know all of my stuff was like stashed safely up there. It was just me and my bivy sack that got swept out. Yeah. And so I'm wearing thin, long underwear no, no gloves, no, um, no shoes or socks or anything. It's like late October in Washington. So oh, it's no. cold and, um, I'm cold <laughs> and, um, you know, oh. and there's kind of this dawning realization like, wow, I'm in big trouble. And I don't have any way of calling for help. Yeah. You know, um, how did you make the decision to. I thought about this a little bit when yeah. I first heard the story, but like, how, how did you make the decision just to like start crawling? Because I think some people would have just 
it's laid there. Yeah. Um, I really do. I, I There wasn't I any know. decision. And I've, I've had people ask me that before. Yeah. There wasn't ever a moment of you, like were deciding. Were you just like just it continuing was just to like, yeah, move? basic, basic animal survival yeah. at that point. And, gotcha. um, you know, there was kind of, there's a brief moment of assessing the situation. Yeah. Um, you know, and every position I was in hurt. But the only thing that kind of, the thing that felt the best was just to be on all fours kind of crawling. Yeah. Um, or kind of stooped over, uh-huh. you know, kind of protecting my, my yeah. lungs and rib cage and keeping my spine from being erect and yeah. the whole thing. And so I was kind of oscillating between you know, crawling and being quasi-modoed out. Yes. Um, kind of stumbling through the forest. But I, I knew a couple of key pieces of information. One is that every evening a park ranger comes up that road uh-huh. and he closes the gates okay. um, on the nearest logging road. Mm-hmm. Um, you could remember this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I was with it. You you know, find, once yeah. I came back to, mm-hmm. I, was, I knew everything that was going okay. on. Um, and I knew that I had until sunset of that day to get to that road. And it's not far. It's only about a mile away. However, mm-hmm. it's a mile straight down a really steep ravine and then straight up and up the other side. Oh, my gosh. And, um, there's not a great trail. You know, it would mm-hmm. be me kind of bushwhacking my way. But there's a little bit of a game trail worn at that point. And mm-hmm. so um, I started moving. And, you know, I would kind of crawl. I'd kind of stumble. And then I would feel myself starting to pass out. And uh, each time I'd feel myself kind of like losing consciousness, I'd kind of acknowledge that this might be the last time that I wake up yeah um and I don't remember that being scary I don't remember um you know I don't remember any panic or fear in it I just remember kind of like uh kind of grim acceptance yeah you know but um I would pass out and then I would wake up and then I would start crawling again and um, for like eight hours yeah for like eight hours and uh and you made it eventually yeah eventually I made it to that logging road um shortly before sunset and uh and I knew that that was kind of like the last push I had to give. And I also knew that once I passed out, I might not wake back up again. And so I just laid my body across the middle of the logging road. Yeah. And you got a picture. This is like me in long underwear, tops and bottoms. Blood, like probably REI, everywhere. Uh, th- so not dirt. that much blood. Really? Um, bloody hands and bloody feet yeah. from just like crawling and not yeah, giving dirt. a fuck. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then like vampire blood like yes. coming out of the sides of my mouth. And so... You got to imagine somebody like driving up that road and there's this dude in all black ninja suit laid like perpendicular yeah. across the middle Blood of the road. Yeah, and it wasn't no. actually a park ranger that found me. It was a hiker who was coming down okay. from being hiking that uh-huh. day. And um, this is just like quintessential Bellingham pothead hiker <laughs> dude yeah. comes down. There's this guy laying across the middle of the road. Um, you know, he parks his car like 20 or 30 feet away. Is like, what the fuck? Yeah. He's trying to yell at me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I came to briefly, um, and this guy was kind of like standing like 10 or 15 feet away. Hell yeah, like, What's <laughs> I probably going would on? too. You know? yeah. And he's trying to ask me questions, and you can see I've opened my eyes, and okay. I'm like, you know, quasi-responsive, but I can't talk. I can't like move air across my vocal cords strong enough to like make a sound. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm just kind of saying like, hospital. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, 911. <laughs> And eventually this guy kind of gets the message, you know, it takes yeah. a little while, but he figures out I'm not a threat. He comes over, he helps me get into his car and I'm able to like assist a little bit in the process. Yeah. And then I'm in the front seat of his car, just kind of passing in and out of consciousness. I remember him like, 
<laughs> trying to encourage me to smoke some weed that that would like make me feel better, <laughs> which I remember like, thinking bro, my lungs moment, right now. Yeah. I remember in that moment <laughs> thinking was so hilarious. I yeah. was just like, that's awesome and really funny. And there's no way. But I also remember like kind of thinking about it. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe that would that like, actually like, feel good. I was like, no, no, that wouldn't feel good. Um, and, uh, he got me to the, the emergency room okay. and, um, what was also funny is I just kept imagining that as soon as I got help, then I would be able to surrender and everybody, you know, doctors and nurses would come running and like, you know, I would, I wouldn't have to be responsible for my own process anymore. And yeah. we pull up at the emergency room and he's kind of like, okay, like, you know, what do we do now? And, you know, looking for me to guide the way. And I'm like, you know, barely holding it together, but no one can tell how injured I actually am in that oh moment. Gosh, and so I'm so stressed out I like, right now for I kind of pulled <laughs> myself you. out of his car and go limping into the emergency room. Um, no and I kind of think this guy way. just didn't really want to be involved, you know? And I lay myself, <laughs> I lay myself on the floor just right inside the like sliding doors of the emergency room. And, um, oh you know, gosh. and again, I'm like waiting for everything to start happening, but instead like nurses come over and they want me to fill out paperwork and they're trying to ask me questions and I like, I can't what communicate well enough. Yeah. I can't talk. And so I can't communicate well enough to make people understand what an actual emergency this is. Um, but eventually through like writing a couple things and through me just kind of being quasi unresponsive, um, I get in, <laughs> you know, x-rays start happening, MRIs start happening, yeah. whatever it is. And, uh, then they're like, oh shit, like, you know, you're bleeding to death <laughs> yes, internally yes. Oh my and um, gosh. you're all messed up. And so, yeah, then it was two months oh. in the hospital of, of just going through that process. Um, I am so stressed out right now. Yeah. Don't be like, no, 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 <laughs> no. Like I, I just, no, I know you're not like, but I'm trying to like, I know that the listeners are, are feeling that too. Like, that's just like absolutely bonkers. How, how long ago was that? Um, so that was 11 years ago now. Okay. Yeah. Now 11 or 12, I lose track. I want to jump into like kind of how, you then go from that to speed flying. Yeah. But one thing that you said that I thought was super interesting, I think this was on a, a YouTube video that you did yeah. for your this company. Yeah. And I just love this so much, this necklace. Um, yeah. it, 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 it sounded to me like this, ex I don't know how this experience could not like change your life. It, yeah. it, you alluded to that it, it did and kind of like made you gain some perspective, but wh what did that do for you? I would imagine like having all those moments of like, this might be the last time I close my eyes was probably something to process in that moment or maybe later. But you had said something that said like for your passion of living a more positive and genuine life in alignment with nature is, um, I guess maybe why you started this company or, or something that, that it means to you. Totally. Am I right? So to bring this all full circle, um, you know, I spent a fair bit of time in the hospital not knowing if I was going to be okay afterward, mm -hmm. you know, and there were areas that like had weird numbness and nerve pain and, you know, just learning to walk again was a big deal. Mm. Um, and again, it's two months flat on my back, yeah. you know, just Before ther physical oh, before, therapy, Before anything. I can just be discharged from the yes. hospital, you okay. know, and then after that, months and months more of mostly being in bed and, and slowly beginning to do like basic functional tasks. and. Mm -hmm. You know, anytime I try and ask the doctors, hey, how, you know, how bad is this and what's my long term prognosis look like? They're kind of like, well, you fucked yourself up really good. <laughs> like, we don't really know. Yeah. You know, but don't count on being able to do fun stuff again. Yeah. And um, so I kind of had to make my peace with that. And um, and I did. And uh, 
it gave me a really different perspective on life just during that period of time. Mm -hmm. And I kind of reprioritized around maybe not being able to do fun, physically active stuff that had Mm. been, you know, kind of what my life revolved around other than work previously. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, over the next uh, six months and then year, um, as I began to heal and as everything came online and as I kind of realized, wow, I'm like actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. Like, you like know, you do a lot more than like maybe I can you thought. Do, yeah, yeah, you exactly. Were be able I to. can do more than I thought I'd be able to, and I'm like getting better quickly. Um, you know, I started to make plans. Um, you know, to to try and do all of the things that had kind of been on my bucket list mm. at that point, but that I hadn't been pursuing because I'd been caught up in the grind, and I yes. felt that I had such a good job, I had an obligation to keep doing it because yeah. it'd be so silly to like bail on such a good opportunity. Mm. But I quit my job, yeah. I bought a ticket to Southeast Asia. I'd saved money over the past couple of years. I went yeah. and lived in Thailand for a year. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I explored all over the place. I lived on like a little deserted beach with nine dogs and five bamboo shacks <laughs> for six months. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I almost got killed again by a landslide out there. Um, you know, I had adventures and then I came back and I moved from Seattle to Santa Cruz. Uh-huh. And um, I was, you know, I didn't have very much money at that point. It's kind of like, okay, cool. I need to figure out the next thing. Mm-hmm. And um, through a, a crazy circuitous set of coincidences and circumstances ended up on a mountaintop in Big Sur, California Mm -hmm. and uh, stumbled across this beautiful pine cone. Um, Mm. And uh, I was with this woman I was madly in love with Mm -hmm. and um, we were up there and we had taken uh, a little bit of uh, medicinals on the top of this Mm -hmm. this mountaintop. And um, so we were both. Your mind was opened a little. Yeah. And a pretty like beautiful psychedelic sacred space together. Yeah. we found this gorgeous pine cone and we picked it up and we're kind of passing it back and forth and brought it back to the tent with us that night. And uh-huh. then the next morning woke up and um, we're packing up and getting ready to hike back out. And we're like, actually, this is like, we're just tripping last night. This is a really beautiful pine cone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, um, <laughs> let's bring this back. This. Yeah, we're in it right now. I've got mine on here too. Yeah, um, okay. But let's, let's bring this back as a memento from this gorgeous shared experience that we right. had together. Okay. And, uh, and so it came back and it lived on my windowsill in Santa Cruz over the next year, just mm-hmm. the whole pine cone, um, uncut, unopened, and it dried and cured and aged and it never popped open, which I thought was strange. I always thought the pine cone was going to open at some point, uh-huh. but it stayed really tight shut, which is a unique characteristic of the species. Okay. Um, and then one day I was looking at this thing. I was getting ready to move out of my house. I'd broken up with this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, my life was in flux once again. I was really trying to figure out what it was that my offering to the world was. Yeah. And I think everybody can identify with that yes. feeling of like, you know, feeling this like pent up, like stoke and desire to like share something unique and special mm. to you that nobody's ever done before and Correct. nobody's ever seen before. And um, mm-hmm. grasping around for that thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I, um, I had a saw in my hand and I was picking this pine cone up to, to <laughs> put it in a box along yeah. with my other belongings. I was like, Oh, I wonder what's inside like, of what the this hell? thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of had a little bit of detachment, um, yeah. from it as well. Like, eh, you know, if I ruin this thing, it doesn't matter, whatever, yeah. like getting ready to move spots. I don't care. Yeah. And, um, I took a cut from it and it just happened to be just the right angle, just the right thickness. There's so many different things I could have done in that moment that mm. would have meant that this never came about, mm-hmm. but, um, the stars aligned and, uh, I saw this beautiful pattern revealed inside of the pine cone mm-hmm. and, um, 
you know, it was kind of a rough cut. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, Did you think you used a handsaw? No, I used a, a, a skill saw, a skill which saw. I do not recommend. Anybody <laughs> who wants to try this at home, do not <laughs> hold a pine cone in down, one hand Carl? and like right. a skill saw in the other. It's <laughs> okay. a bad idea. It's a great way to lose a finger. Okay. Um, okay. It's not how we cut them anymore. Okay. However, in that moment, it wow. worked. And um, I saw this cool pattern. And uh, over the next day or two, I started asking friends um, who had work woodworking experience, like, hey, this is kind of cool. What should I do? And they're like, well, sand it down, you know, use a couple yeah. different grades of sandpaper. Get it fine, yeah. And so I did that. So yeah, like get like a fine, a nice fine surface Did you put on oil on it finally? I, so I, I did. Well, I didn't actually. Okay, uh, you waited. I asked for advice and everybody told me to do that. They're like, you could use a tongue oil or you yeah. could use a varnish or a lacquer. Mm -hmm. And so I made plans to go to the uh, the hardware store the next day. Yeah. Um, however, uh, that same night, um, I was hanging out with some friends, smoked some weed, mm -hmm. got a little bit uncomfortably high mm -hmm. and was kind of like wanted to like do something with this awesome, cool new project <laughs> that I had. And yep. I had a moment of remembering that I had a, a two-part woodworking resin um, that I'd discovered in my belongings as I was getting ready to move. Uh -huh. And um, I'd originally bought it for, funny enough, for making didgeridoos. Yeah. Um, a oh a project gosh, that's like amazing. classic stoner project <laughs> that you yeah. like dream of doing and make plans for and then never quite get around to and <laughs> okay. still have the supplies. And so I mixed this two-part woodworking resin together. Okay. And um, then I had a foam brush for another random arts and crafts project, and uh, and I used a foam brush to apply a thin layer over the si the face of the pine cone where mm. this beautiful pattern had been revealed. Mm -hmm. And I woke up the next morning and picked this up and was like, wow, like this was pretty before, mm. but all of the colors popped. popped. There's yep. this beautiful pattern and this nice like glossy mm -hmm. glass-like finish. And um, what's funny is if I would have if I would have waited and followed my friend's advice, mm -hmm. the pine cone over time, I know now, would have mm -hmm. slowly cracked open and mm -hmm. disintegrated. It would look cool for a couple of days, but then it kind of would have like fallen mm -hmm. apart. And um, to this day, you know, this is still the exact same woodworking resin that we use oh, cool. to seal the pine cones of oh, all the different neat. things. And we've tried, you know, every finish really? at this point, but this is still the one that works. And so. Can I see the back of yours? Absolutely. I'm just trying to compare to yeah, mine. Totally. <gasps> oh my gosh. Is this the OG one or is this a this different one? This is not the OG. The OG one is like lives in storage in my place. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I've still got oh, the original Oh, they're all so fun. Been, been all over the world with me at this point. So how, tell me, tell me, okay, so speed flying. Yeah. I want to, I want to get into how we go from this to this. These are absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and, right? And totally. I, and I wanted, I have so much to dive into, but we're going to show, uh, we're going to look at a clip together. Cool. Of what speed flying is, um, before we do that, for the people just listening, how can you, um, actually let me, so for the people that are listening, how would you verbally describe what speed flying is? Because I can attempt it, but I will massacre it for, for people who have no idea. So it's essentially, um, everyone knows what like a skydiving canopy looks like. You know, you can picture yeah. somebody base jumping or skydiving. They've got this big piece of fabric um, overhead and... Um, people do another similar sport called paragliding. Mm, I was wondering um, if it was. Where, um, which is very common similar. here in Salt Lake City. This yeah. is kind of like the epicenter of paragliding mm -hmm. in the U.S. Um, and this is another sport where you sit in a harness, kind of in a reclined position. You have the big fabric over your head. Yeah. And, um, you know, skydivers will jump out of a plane and deploy this thing and then coast to the ground mm -hmm. on it. Um, paragliders will, will have a much bigger canopy overhead and they'll ride around on thermals trying to stay up in the air as long mm, as we, okay. as long as they can. And, um, speed flying is a little bit, uh, like a fusion of the two of those. And okay. so it's much smaller 
paraglider style canopies mm -hmm. that um, instead of being made for staying up in thermals and, and coasting around in the air for hours, they're made to go down very fast. And um, they're, you know, more okay. similar in size to like a skydiving canopy, but they're designed in a very different way. Right. Um, skydiving canopies are made to, to, generally speaking, there's obviously different designs, but they're made to get you to the ground safely. And um, they're not typically designed for forward speed. They're okay. more designed for safe descent. Okay. Um, this wings, is, um, yeah. which kind was this? That's a skydive canopy. Skydive canopy, yep. okay. Um, a speed wing, um, unique kind of to speed flying, is um, is like a fusion of those two, and it's made to glide forward um, okay. rapidly. Um, and so unlike a skydiving canopy that kind of like sinks towards the ground, this is really like making a lot more forward uh, mm -hmm. forward speed. And um, and then uh, they typically have trimmers on them, which are, are little um, kind of cam buckle tabs that you can release mm -hmm. that will even increase that rate of descent more okay. than it said at the beginning. And so um, the upshot of all this is that you can run this canopy into flight off the top of a mountain mm -hmm. and then coast down the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hugging the terrain, flying in gullies and doing barrel rolls. And I'm, I'm laughing because I've seen the videos. And yeah. so like when you're saying forward speed, like it's fast, you guys, like we're <laughs> going to look at the video. And so if you're not on the YouTube channel, go check out the YouTube channel, make it a podcast YouTube. So you can see this and just check out his page. We're going to tag him at everything at the end, but <laughs> it's fast. Like what is your, what's your, Typical speed yeah, so down the canyon doing barrel rolls, Carl. <laughs> I need to right. know. So uh, it's important to, to highlight the fact that there are many different sizes of speed wings. Okay. And so um, when somebody is learning to speed fly, mm -hmm. and I run a school here in Salt Lake, so I'm teaching people. Um, oftentimes they're like a little terrified because they're like, they've seen a video of me flying and they're like, whoa, that looks crazy and really fast. Yes. And, um, you know, at the upper ends of how fast I'm going is like 100 or 120 miles an hour if I'm diving out of a barrel roll. Um, but usually Hang on. more... If you're diving, uh, uh, the upwards of your speed is 120 miles an hour? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I, I didn't know it was that fast. I haven't ever <laughs> speed gunned myself yeah. actually like coming out the yeah. bottom of one. Um, but I think that's in the ball. Yeah. Okay. Um, I trust you. And yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, um, but the average speed when I'm kind of just like flying flat and yeah. straight is probably closer to like 40, 50, 60, something like that. Okay. Um, and the larger, I, I also fly, um, I fly a broad range of different speed wings, mm -hmm. but uh, in the videos that you're talking about, I'm typically flying a very, very small speed wing, which means mm -hmm. it goes much faster. <laughs> um, however, there are many different sizes and models, mm -hmm. and the ones that uh, somebody who's just kind of like starting to explore the sport on would be much larger, they go much slower, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and typically you'll fly a little bit further away from the terrain mm -hmm. as well. And so there's kind of a broad range okay. that you can do in the sport, and um, it gives people a chance to kind of start on something that's comfortable and yeah. safe for them. And then slowly you'll downsize okay. over time. And this is true of like skydiving canopies. Oh, as well. okay. Well, I will tell you, I am much more inclined now to maybe try it. Cause I was, I was like, okay, this is bonkers. I know he does a school and I'm excited yeah. to dive into the school, but that makes sense. I feel like maybe I could, let's look at this video real quick. You definitely could together. And let's just kind of talk through, you can kind of talk me through this as, as you see it. This okay, is great. Oh boy. Yeah. So this so, is a, oh, hang on this. Oh, let me it's okay. come back to this. We're so going this to his Instagram reels. This is, 
probably the most aggressive flight that I have ever done. Um, and this is me on the smallest canopy that I fly. And you guys, one it of the looks, smallest canopies that is sold. It looks like a video game. Okay, continue. Yeah, smallest and it, canopy. And it feels like a video game. Um, but uh, this is a line that I've flown many times before this on larger sizes of wings to kind of like memorize it, know mm -hmm. where the landscape undulates up and down and be able to plan what I'm doing accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, and is this one here in Utah? And this is here in Utah at an undisclosed location. That's fine. Um, and uh, <laughs> I've got little, uh, I've got brake handles with, and essentially it's like the control devices for this. I'm using okay. my weight shift. I'm using my hips kind of swaying left and right. Okay. Because um, he's barrel rolling. For those on the podcast, he's barrel rolling down the canyon at fast speeds. Getting very close to the train, it looks like. Like you're getting close. I'm very close to the train. He's very close to the train. Like yeah. hauling ass down this canyon with his... What do you call that? Uh, speed wing. Speed wing. Okay. Yeah. I was like, so, you know, in the in the pinnacle moments of this, I'm, you know, an inch or two off of the ground. What? Um, and uh, the air is very calm and I'm using the brake handles to be able to control what's happening with the wing. And um, at any moment in there, if I need to pop upward, I can mm -hmm. pull on both of those and I'm going to move up out of the mm. terrain very quickly. And so um, I can afford to kind of get low and um, I can do that because I have the safety net of all of the speed and the speed translates into mm, lift if I okay. need it to. And so, so the speed is good yeah, for so many reasons. So the faster that I'm going, the more that I can pop straight up into the air if I need to oh, okay. to kind of get out of trouble. Um, Let's look at one more real quick. Just a brief one yeah, on yeah, this one. Totally. This one. So Chris sent me. Chris is uh, like we've just been so excited since we found you and just like pick your brain on this. But, awesome. So he sent me these two yeah. to kind of review. This one's called the Canyon Salt Lake City. This Great. one. Yeah, this is actually um, that same flight. And okay. this is a, a group of friends that I fly with regularly. And there's a f an awesome posse of pilots oh, who fly here cool. in Salt Lake. And so this is me out flying with a bunch of friends. And you'll see... In this video, I'm on a yellow wing instead of a blue one. Okay. And that yellow wing is one size bigger. And oh, so okay. this is me kind of still dialing it in, okay. um, getting ready for this line, and a bunch of other uh, homies of mine out flying with me. How many people did you have with you on this one? Um, man, I think that that day we had five different pilots up there. Really? Um, okay. And that's so much of what makes this so fun is not just, you know, the thrill and the experience for me personally, but getting mm -hmm. to share these experiences with this awesome cadre of other badasses here it, who are like doing cool stuff and who are who are grinding these massive hikes to get yes. to these flights. And that's a big part of it. It's yeah. it's not just out there jumping out of a plane and getting a big adrenaline rush. Yeah. You know, it's it's going on these beautiful, immersive nature experiences mm -hmm. and sharing that with your best bros. Yeah. And then flying down and, then flying and like down. cracking beers at the car yes. five minutes later, you know? So, I mean, you have to know, it, it has to be a relatively small community that's doing this, right? Yeah. So you basically probably know everyone who's like speed flying. It's, like it's been, no, it's been growing rapidly. And, really? um, put, you know, in Salt Lake, I think mm -hmm. that, it's fair to say that I know everybody who's kind of flying lines like this and maybe yeah. at a level like is shown in that video. Mm -hmm. um, but there are tons of new pilots who are starting to speed fly um, and the sport is starting to grow rapidly right now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there are lots of people who fly um, slightly bigger wings who are kind of just getting into it, mm -hmm. who are, um, you know, reaching out for like a little bit of help progressing in the sport. And um, because it's so new, there hasn't been very many resources for people who mm. after they've learned the basics on a bigger wing um, can reach out and start uh, 
learning some of the more advanced techniques and maneuvers that accompany flying. And mm -hmm. um, mostly that's happened in Europe. Um, oh, okay. And mostly that's happened because they have gondola access. And so uh, they can go and they can ride a gondola up and do laps. And out here, oh, okay. we're like hiking. You're like every earning flight. every single flight. Exactly. Like with the spread, exactly. sweat of your brow. You know, there are a couple flights that we can drive up, but they're not very exciting. And um, so mostly mostly we're, we're hiking up. And mm -hmm. um, throughout the U.S. right now, not just in Salt Lake, but more broadly in the United States, uh, the sport is rapidly expanding. Um, it's this beautiful marriage of people's um, increasing desire to get out and connect with nature and go yeah. for big, beautiful hikes, but also have these like thrilling once in a lifetime yes. experiences. Um, and, you know, with the bonus of not having to hike back down, which is yeah. for many people, <laughs> myself included, like the least fun part of the process. You like got to the top of the mountain, you're like, like yeah, yes. we made it. And then, no, you're like, like, oh, down. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, can me connect the dots on how you went from, and I, I want to be respectful of our time. Totally. Um, I have us at like, maybe we have like 15 more minutes. That would give us an hour from when we started. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, help me connect the dots from like the accident. And I don't know if they're related, but like, did you get your pilot's license first? This is a, this how is did a great, how did it? This is a great and funny connect the dots. Yeah, so there isn't really a connect the dots. Amazing. The, the very first time that I ever flew on ripstop nylon was in a tent out of the top of a tree <laughs> by accident. Um, and you know, the you were hooked was, after that. The reason I was up there is because I loved exploring nature and I loved being up high. Mm -hmm. And um, then, you know, years later, after starting this pinecone business, um, after traveling music festivals all around the mm. world and uh, sharing my stoke about pinecones and nature mm -hmm. and tree replanting and all these things yeah. with people, um, I met somebody who speed flew. Um, okay. He was cool enough to like let me play around with his, his speed wing and kind of oh. introduce me to the sport. And okay. as soon as that happened, I was hooked and I went and I got formal education. Okay. Um, you know, I was able to find the only instructor in the US at that time who, really? who uh, uh, the only person who I could find, I've learned since that there were more, but mm -hmm. in that moment, the only person I could find online. Um, this was like about 10 years ago uh, or No, this so? was less that I started, okay. that I actually started speed flying. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I found somebody who could give me some, some basic instruction. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I just started chasing it down and mm. every, every opportunity I had, I would try and fly. Um, and I learned, uh, paragliding first and okay. then I transitioned into speed flying. Um, was that the goal with paragliding to get to speed uh, flying or was it kind of like originally it was just speed flying mm. and I did some of that. And then I realized that I didn't, that I wanted to have a broader skill set, And so I went back. And then I also learned paraglide. Okay. And um, now when we're working with students, we're like, cool, it, if you want to speed fly, great. We have a progression where you can just focus on speed flying. You don't need to go back and learn to paraglide first, yeah. which is a really frustrating component for some people. They're like, I don't want to paraglide. Why do I need to? Okay. Um, but regardless of whether um, people are learning to paraglide specifically or not as a discipline, mm. they need to understand some of the skill sets that are involved. Yeah. And there wasn't anybody who was really breaking those down on an individual uh. level. And so um, 
you know, I learned some things about paragliding. There's some really important stuff about weather forecasting and stuff like that, that um, I got to learn in that process. And then I started applying that to speed flying and I started making trips to Europe and New Zealand Mm -hmm. and meeting the other people who are really like progressing in the sport and starting to collect kind of the skill set internationally and then bring that back to the U.S. and share that with other people. Mm. So, okay, real quick, tell me the very quick difference between paragliding and speed is it just the speed portion and the size of your um canopy i think that that's there are lots of minutiae but that's the fundamental component okay is like your the size of your canopy in relation to how much you weigh yeah because like obviously a 250 pound guy can be on a pretty big wing and he's going to go real fast yeah. still so yeah it's all a, a you know, it's a relationship between your body weight and the size of canopy overhead. Okay. And then also their design characteristics that are specific to speed wings. They have that trim system I was describing where uh-huh. you can kind of like let the trims out and go faster, yeah. pull them in, okay. go slower, change your angle of attack and your rate of descent. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, speed wings are, are kind of a specifically designed tool for mm-hmm. this job, but there's a lot of interplay between that and paragliding and there's a lot of paragliding pilots who get excited about speed flying later okay um, and there are speed flying pilots who who realize wow i, I love staying up for more than you know a couple minutes at yeah. a time like i i want to learn to because you're still heaving yourself off of a mountain right uh, totally <laughs> exactly you're heaving yourself off a mountain you're yep. just it's a rate of descent and yep. kind of type of canopy okay exactly. i got you yeah so what when when you started doing that like what is it about that like obviously the nature component is important to you yeah. it seems yeah um and then i mean we started the conversation with you if the weather's right you're doing two a days yeah so tell me about what else you're getting from that that just like keeps you coming back for more yeah well one component i suspect you're going to be able to relate to mm. is exercise mm-hmm. and you yeah. know I am somebody who needs to get exercise, you know, a Mm. vigorous workout in some form or fashion, at least once a day, just to stay sane. Yeah. You know, I'm just wired that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also have found that I do better in all of the other components of my life Mm -hmm. if I'm giving myself a a good aerobic blast Mm. once a day, you know? And so even on days where I'm not out flying and hiking, I'm still waking up, I'm going for a swim, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or I'm doing like a, an hour and a half yoga practice or whatever it Mm -hmm. is to just like stay in that flow. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big component of what I love about speed. Flying. When did you realize that you needed that in your life? Oh man. Um, cause mine's recent. Yeah. Mine's relatively recent right. like in the last two years. And I, I, now I relate to that when people say like, I need it every day. I need yeah. it every single day or yeah. I'm going to lose my shit. Yeah, totally. And you um, just can feel how suboptimally you're performing yeah. and where your, your mood and attitude is yes. at your enjoyment of yeah. your life. You know, but what, what made you, were you, did you, know that before like was it when you started getting active outside that you started feeling better that's that's a great question and that actually ties back to that tree experience that um part of me getting so excited about being outside and building this tree house was because i had spent so much time in the previous year or two or three in kind of an office environment and like drinking beer with my college friends under those fluorescents yeah exactly Mm. and i just kind of started realizing wow i like don't feel that great (laughs) and um, i'm not feeling swell yeah and and uh and so i i started going for runs and i was like wow that feels nice Um, yeah you know, I'm, I still had some like weird lingering, like one of my knees had been injured when I was younger. And so it wasn't a big deal, but running just didn't feel great. Yeah. I'd run for like three miles or so and then be like, okay, cool. That's enough. Yeah. Um, and if running kind of felt like a, a 
a way to to get that fix but it didn't feel like something that i loved mm. and then i started running in the forest rather mm. than in downtown seattle around a bunch okay. of office buildings and then those runs kind of turned into longer just run walk exploration missions where i was like you know covering like 10 or 15 miles in a day okay. and exploring and that mm. sense of exploring in nature was mm -hmm. really the thing that that mm. got me you know and um you know pairing that that sense with uh, with physical exercise is really the sweet spot for me. Mm. And so, you know, I'll go for a swim in a pool or I'll, you know, I'll even go to the gym and lift weights or something like that. Mm -hmm. not, not that it shows. Um, <laughs> but what I really live for is exercising in conjunction with epic nature immersion. Yeah. And that can be in the ocean, that can yeah. be in the forest, but it's it's got to be like that for mm -hmm. it to feel like the whole thing for me. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Do you have to, are there specific things that you do outside of your hiking to like train to do more? Like you said, you weightlift occasionally, mm -hmm. you swim and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I just, like I just actually realized, like I'm just imagining you recovering from all these injuries and now you're freaking doing how long are the hikes typically um and I they're not like they're steep yeah it's about you have as to get it's you have to get an elevation get. there's like rock climbing involved sometimes yes. um and uh usually it's about an hour and a half to two hours so okay it's not that crazy lengthy of a journey um it's why we can get two in in a day yeah. but it's you know an hour and a half or two hours but generally speaking cardio. Of like, <laughs> you know straight <laughs> yes. up yeah, like, you know, you have to be fit. a five minute break in there and mm -hmm. you're crushing. Yeah. And so, you know, people who are excited about learning to speed fly, that's kind of the one of the first things we got to gut check them on is like, yo, like, where's your, you know, where's your interest or excitement? Yeah. And like in hiking, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't enjoy that component of this, this isn't going to be a fun mm -hmm. sport for you to get into. But if you're somebody who loves hiking already, like, you know, a growing number of people in, in Salt Lake especially do, yeah. um, then what a rad sport to be able to pair with your love of hiking and then also have this just like pinnacle experience at the end of your hike when you're already at your very best and you're most present, you know, mm. you've just gotten to the top of a mountain. Yeah. Like what better physical state to then do something that's like you need to be totally present yes. for then right then. You're like at your best in mm -hmm. that moment. And then you launch a wing and you pilot it to the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, you land and you're stoked. And it feels like you got teleported from the top of this mountain mm -hmm. to the bottom. So that's one thing that um, when Chris and I were talking about interviewing you, we were kind of like, should we ask him why the crap he keeps doing it? Because <laughs> we're trying like, because we're trying to conceptualize like, yeah. and, and that's one thing I brought up is like, there's probably not many other things that you can do to force yourself to be that present. I mean, a lot of action sports will do that, right? Yep, like totally. you have to be exactly, or you're dead or you're hurt. Yep. Um, so it sounds like that that's, it's forcing you into presence. I mean, you're probably already pretty grounded and, and kind of you, I'm sure you practice that often because you're out in nature and you're just like in it. Mm -hmm. But, um, how is that experience that you've heard from people who are new to it, like kind of feeling that state of presence? Like have, have, have people communicated that to you? Uh, totally. And what's um, the, what's the conversation you know, I mean, there? Um, I, I think the conversation is it, it's both people communicating that they're having that experience and they enjoy it. It's mm -hmm. also um, myself and, and my partner and in instructing people mm -hmm. communicating to the people who are learning the importance of like being in the right mindset and having like a clear headspace before mm -hmm. they go flying yeah. and knowing when 
it's appropriate to just say, hey, today's, today's not, not the not day, day for me, you know, and that's yeah. really hard for people because, you know, especially if somebody's doing instruction or training, you know, they're out, they're like ready to go. They blocked out this time in their life to go fly, you know, yeah. or, you know, whatever. M maybe it's an experienced pilot and, you know, you made friends with your or plans with your friends a couple of days before we're going to go do this mission. We've been watching the forecasting. Yeah. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. And then the night before you break up with your girlfriend. And yeah. Like, you know, you don't sleep good and yeah. you're in a bad headspace and the whole hike you spend like ruminating on yep. whatever it is and to be able to have um, the discipline to, so to say, hey, yep. like I'm not in a good spot mm -hmm. for this right now and I'm going to hike back down or I'm yeah. just not going to go out today in general mm -hmm. is a really important skill for people um, to be able to 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 harness mm -hmm. as they're getting into not just the sport, but anything, you know, skateboarding, whatever it is. And, yeah. you know, one more component I'd add to that is just, uh, you know, what we're doing when we're particularly sending something that's as committed as those videos you're watching, yeah. you know, not just me, but the other pilots in there too. It's yeah. like, you know, it's game on. Yes. And, um, and having a meditation practice or experience mm. in, um, you know, uh, in discipline, practice, presence in the moment mm -hmm. can be really helpful for people mm -hmm. in not just learning this sport, but in learning anything, oh, um, yeah. you know, where you need to be able to flip the switch and go into an on state of presence. And, mm -hmm. you know, not only is that a skill to bring to bear on it, but it's also like kind of the essence of the enjoyment. Mm. You know, I've done a, a 10 day Vipassana retreat where it's like oh, silent wow. meditation mm -hmm. on a mountaintop in Thailand in a temple. Yeah. And, um, you know, that state of awareness that you reach at the end of, you know, 10 days of not talking and meditating all day mm -hmm. is very similar to that little, you know, two or three Ooh. or four minute blast that I get when I'm speed flying. Okay. It's kind of a little hack to yeah. get to step into oh, that space. Oh, that's cool. You know? That's really cool. Um, oh, my gosh. Well, I'm going to say one thing, and then I think we're probably going to Yeah, great. <laughs> um, is that part of your, like, actually... Okay, two questions. Are you encouraging your students to take up a meditation practice to, like, get them ready? Um, I would encourage anybody who's thinking about speed flying to do that. Uh, it's not a specific thing where we're like, hey, this is part of our yeah. instructional content. Yeah. However, it's inevitably part of the ongoing conversation that we're sure. having with people. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that we're able to observe real quick with people is just kind of their innate capacity to that when they show up to do instruction. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very apparent very quickly mm. who's able to kind of step into that space quickly yep. and who maybe needs a little bit more help to be able to like reach that place where they've turned their thoughts off and they're yes. existing in just pure in action. The moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, inevitably um, having built a repertoire of appropriate muscle memory and decision making is part of being able to be in that place, you yeah. know, is, is the practice and training you put in mm -hmm. in a non-committed environment mm -hmm. so that when it is committed, you're not having to exist in your thoughts or your mind. Mm -hmm. You're just doing what you already know how to do mm -hmm. and you're, you're serving as a channel for that to come through uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. um, how are you how are you teaching people or like is there a checklist or something because I, I love what you said about trying to have that discipline mm -hmm. because it's so important in all aspects of our life but and one thing I've asked myself over the years and I've asked a lot of friends is uh, a lot of my friends who are in the military is yeah. how can you teach discipline and not break someone totally so and I think I, I figured out something that worked for me but how are you communicating that and and 
and having like what's the mental checklist you're telling your students or your good friends who are getting into it yeah how to mentally check and when to say it's not the day and yeah. and that's okay like how do you what are you instructing them on yeah well we've got all sorts of checklists for gear and mm -hmm. you know for kind of like uh for conditions mm -hmm. um you know there's there's checklists upon checklists yeah. for any of the flight training stuff okay but when it comes to um somebody's broader just kind of emotional state and awareness it's less of a checklist and it's more of an ongoing conversation mm. and it's trying to share and this is where just not just getting kind of technical instruction is important, but getting mentorship from somebody who yeah. does this regularly is important because that's where these components that you can't really just make a checklist like, okay, do I, do I feel, am I happy today? You know, right. like, did I break up with my girlfriend last night? Yeah. You know, it's, it's more a, a conversation and it's also why having accountability buddies who you're doing these experiences with mm -hmm. to be able to provide you with that feedback, mm -hmm. um, to be able to um, watch what you're doing and call you out on your shit, yeah. you know, either before or after a flight sometimes yeah. um, is really important. Um, and it's, it's part of why talking to people who have done this for a long time is clutch because mm. we can be like, Hey, like, you know, I've, I've been there. I can see, you know, that you're not all the way together with it today. What's mm -hmm. going on? Like, did you not get enough sleep last night? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, actually, I drank a Red Bull at like seven mm -hmm. last night. It was really stupid of me. How did you know? And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, because like you're kind of blowing it. And yeah. Like, I can see you just trying to control your wing in the wind right now when there's no consequence and, you know, there's there's no risk of you getting hurt and you're not doing a good job at just just that. So yeah. let's take a step back and either consider if we want to, you know, finish training tomorrow mm. or maybe we just work on stuff that's safe and on the ground today mm -hmm. and we save the actual like flying for tomorrow, yeah. you know, and those conversations translate into the future over the next couple of years and give people mm. um, a foundation to yeah. look at their own actions mm, amidst as they continue to practice yeah. this sport and, and other things too. That's amazing. I love that. Well, this has been, so I could go on for another hour, Carl. So I hope that I can convince you for maybe around two at some Great, point, I'd but I want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Um, tell us where we can find your stuff. Tell us about where we can find you, your flight school yep. and any of your businesses and any of your social handles. How can people find out awesome. what you're up to? Cool. Um, well, the our school can be found at speedfly.com. Um, okay. And it's just the way that it sounds, speedfly.com. <laughs> um, and we've got all of our videos and stuff up, up on there. Um, you can also see a lot more of just kind of my day-to-day -day videos, um, less, you know, kind of produced with drones and more mm -hmm. just what I'm up to today. Mm -hmm. um, GoPros and, and 360 cams and stuff okay. on my personal Instagram. Okay. Um, and that's just at Carl Wyseth, my name. Um, and then thirdeyepinecones.com is mm -hmm. the name of the uh, the business mm. and this piece that you're I wearing love right now. It. Um, and so then um, I also am a, a partner on another business, Third Eye Tapestries, beautiful visionary art from festivals yes. reproduced on like large wall hangings. And um, most are you recently, guys are you guys making? Where do you make that? Where's yeah, that? those are made in India, so they're they dye are. sublimated, printed by like a beautiful Indian family okay. business out there. Oh my gosh. And they are beautiful. Yeah, they are, you guys you. have to check them out. Epic artists um, yes. from festivals all over the world. And okay. then, uh, the last project that I'm super excited about right now is, uh, stokespicks.com. And okay. these are flavored toothpicks uh, okay. infused with a little bit of nicotine. And so for people who want to oh, be able okay. to have nicotine involved in their life, which is, mm. it's a beautiful, um, you know, cognitive enhancing substance that's mm -hmm. awesome in the right cir circumstances. It mm -hmm. just, 
sucks the delivery methods that people mm. have been offered up until now. Okay. And so this is a way for people to be able to use nicotine and safely and sustainably mm -hmm. um, and also have like a yummy low flavored toothpick whenever they want to. If okay. They're studying for a test or winding down after a day or something like that. Okay. So. Amazing. So you guys check him out on all those platforms. We'll link in all of the descriptions. Carl, thank you so much for sharing how you're making a dent in this world. And uh, I hope that we can have you on again sometime. And I hope that your flight later today if you go is amazing i'm gearing up for it <laughs> awesome i really appreciate right. you having me on thanks so much thank Sarah. you